Well, I would say uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, but there are no ladies here, so. Well, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I hope it's an encouragement to you tonight. Uh, share a few things from the Word of God about evangelism. And um, this is really the main reason why we're left behind here on this earth, to evangelize. Uh, God's plan of redeeming people is not over, and it won't be over until he says so. So uh, open your Bibles then to, we're going to be going to a number of different passages, uh, and you won't have to turn to them all, but uh, if you didn't get an outline, I think there might be some in the back. But that includes the references we'll go to and and more than that. But uh, let's pray before we begin. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as men to consider what our responsibilities are when it comes to evangelizing in this world and, and the very unique responsibilities we have to our family, to our workplace, to our neighborhoods. And we pray that you would, uh, just like 1 Corinthians 16 says, act like men, you would help us to fulfill our roles to uh, not be feminized by uh, the culture or uh, the lies that we are told on a daily basis, but you would help us to cling to your word. Uh, Give us edifying conversation tonight, and we pray that you would uh, strengthen us uh, to do your will uh, in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight, uh, hopefully I'll keep it under 30 minutes or at 30 minutes. Um, We will have three points, and you can see those three points on your outline. The first is men must prioritize evangelism. The second is men must prepare for evangelism. And the third point is men must proclaim Christ and evangelism. So the first one, men must pr- prioritize evangelism. Uh, the reason I had that point is uh, specifically because we tend to think more of ourselves than other people. And evangelism is uh, overtly about others. Uh, it's about Christ uh, glorifying him, preaching him crucified. It's about the salvation of the lost Uh, It's even about the edification of the saved. Uh, Even those who are already believers need to hear the gospel. And um, on top of that, the gospel is not our message. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ. And so it's not our story. It's not a selfish message. It's about the glory of God. And Usually, uh, when it comes to very fundamental subjects like evangelism, uh, familiarity breeds contempt, and we tend to uh, diminish and de-emphasize the importance of evangelism. But like we said at the outset, this is really the main reason why we're left behind, why we're not with the Lord, uh, why we're not with the rest of the saints in glory, specifically because there's work to be done. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, 
Jesus tells his disciples, and interestingly enough, these 11 disciples that he speaks to in Matthew 20 and 19 are men. So the future of the church and the future of gospel proclamation rides on the backs of 11 men, which is a sobering thought to think about. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And really, the rest of the things that we're going to be saying in this first point are just really elementary, really fundamental. Uh, But like Peter says in his first epistle, that he wants to stir his readers up by way of reminder. That's kind of what what I'm hoping to do here in the first point. Luke chapter 14, verse 21, this is a parable about uh, invitations going out for a wedding banquet, and this highlights our responsibilities to evangelize. Jesus says in Luke 14, 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And there's a monumental classic sermon preached by Charles uh, Spurgeon entitled, Compel Them to Come In. And it's based on this Luke chapter 14 parable. Uh, It's an excellent sermon. I recommend it to you. Uh, You can find it on sermonaudio.com. But this message is not brought to you by sermonaudio.com. But really the thrust of that parable is as disciples, we need to go out into the highways and the byways and to compel people to come in compel people, implore them, beg them, urge them to believe in Christ. So we talked, I talked uh, just about a negative reason why I would highlight prioritizing evangelism, that we tend to think more about ourselves than others. But here are some positive things, and these are your subpoints. 1A, sinners are saved through the gospel. This is a positive thing, obviously. The gospel is the only means for salvation. The gospel is the only means for salvation. As good as a personal testimony is, telling people about how we came to know the Lord, uh, that is not the means for salvation that God has said uh, sinners will be saved by. It's also not through kindness. Not saying, uh, thank you for being a courteous uh, gentleman. That's not going to save anybody either. We have to open our mouths and proclaim the message of Christ. And it's really only when people hear the message that they can believe the message, right? People can't believe a message unless they have heard the message. Listen to what Paul says in Acts chapter 26. This is when I think he's before Agrippa. Acts chapter 26, he speaks about his experience on the road to Damascus when Christ appeared to him and sent him to the Gentiles. He says, To whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who were sanctified by, by faith in me. So that is really the message of the gospel, isn't it? They, uh, sinners are under the power of Satan. They are in the midst of darkness they don't have their forgiveness of sins, and they're on their way to hell. And that message of the gospel 
Through that, they can receive the forgiveness of sins. They can be turned from the power of Satan to God, and they can basically have their names written in the book of life. And then Romans 10, 14 to 15, another classic verse. How, wh- how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So the first positive reason why we should prioritize evangelism is because sinners are saved through the gospel. We were sinners saved through the gospel. And the second is Christ is glorified in the gospel. That's the second reason we should prioritize evangelism. Christ is glorified in the gospel. And the aim of our lives should be to please him, obviously. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, whether we are at home or away, our aim should be to please him. And um, I mean, doesn't that give us the most satisfaction to please the one who has saved us? When God is satisfied with our lives, we are satisfied because he's satisfied. It's kind of a cyclical um, experience, cyclical kind of subject. Christ is glorified in the gospel. And again, these are really elementary truths, but um, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So whenever the disciples would sow the seed of the gospel to these various regions of the known world, they would be speaking on behalf of Christ and they would be glorifying him. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So when he would open his mouth and speak the gospel and speak about the crucifixion, he would be speaking about Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, glorifying Christ. And then third, the third reason why we should prioritize evangelism is because we prove our true identity by preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is what people do who have been saved. That's kind of a, again, a very simple Christianity 101 kind of a statement, but listen to what the demoniac did after he was healed by Jesus in Mark chapter 5, verses 19 to 20. And he did not permit him, but said to him, this is what Jesus says to the demoniac, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And this is what the demoniac did. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So not only do we prove our true identity because it's just a natural occurrence when you're saved by Christ to tell others about Christ, but also we follow our Lord's example. We validate our claim that we belong to him. This is what Jesus did very early on in his ministry in Nazareth in the synagogue. 
And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Three times in that passage, proclaim is used. Jesus was a preacher, a preacher of the gospel, a preacher of the good news to the poor. And so when we, when we do the same, we are following in our Lord's footsteps. So that's the first point, men must prioritize evangelism. And I give you three reasons for that. And then secondly, men must prepare for evangelism. We need to prepare our lives and we need to prepare our minds. We need to prepare our lives in order to adorn the gospel, to beautify it, to make it look good, to, in a sense, prove that the gospel really does change lives. There is a difference that God makes in our lives. And then we also need to prepare our minds uh, in order to expect the world's hostility because there will be rejection and there will be temptations to be discouraged and to to despair. Um, And we are in good company when that happens, that we experience the world's hostility. So the first way that we can prepare for evangelism is to live self-controlled. And in your outline, I have self-controlled, upright, and godly, and I just went ahead and shaved off the upright and godly. Not to say that those are not good things to focus on, but I think simplifying it to just live self-controlled is, is uh, easier to remember. Titus chapter 2, verse 2, with regard to the older men, They are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. There's only one instruction, there's only one exhortation given for the younger men in Titus 2.6, and that is to be self-controlled. And then you have kind of the encapsulation of being self-controlled along with other things in Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So here are some suggestions um, and uh, we're all a work in progress with these things, obviously, but how do we live self-controlled? Well, we can control our tongue. Speak only that which is edifying. We can control our emotions to stay calm and resist outbursts of anger. We can control our thoughts to think on the truth. We can control our time using it wisely for God's glory. We can control our marriages to be faithful to our wives. And yes, despite 
what many say, we can control our children and train them to obey. And if you live that way, then that kind of a life is going to adorn the gospel. That's going to make people wonder what's wrong with you or what's wrong with them. And then that's going to inevitably cultivate the ground for sowing gospel seed because people are going to ask. Another way that you can prepare for evangelism is avoid hypocrisy. And I shaved off something else in your point in the outline. Avoid hypocrisy and devote yourself to good works. Not to say that devoting yourself to good works is a bad thing, but just to simplify it, I think it's better to just focus on avoiding hypocrisy. Titus 1 verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That, I think, is in reference to the Cretans. And then Titus 3.8 is kind of the reverse of the Cretans who profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Titus 3.8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So basically, follow through with your convictions. Let your doctrine dictate your life. In other words, uh, be a Bible believer. Third way that you can prepare for evangelism is remember that rejection and persecution will happen, but do not fear. And I merged C and D, so now we just have C. But remember that rejection and persecution will happen, but do not fear. We should not forget that uh, we might be called to be a construction worker or uh, an insurance guru or an IT guy, but we are also called to suffer. Philippians 1.29, you have been called not only to believe in his name, but to suffer for his sake. Also remember that when you suffer your, your, for righteousness sake, you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. When you're insulted for being a Christian. And um, it's happened many times before and it will happen uh, probably increasingly more as our lives go on that we will be insulted for being a Christian. It's not really a cool thing to, to do. It's not a cool thing to be. But we share in the sufferings of Christ when that happens. Uh, trust that you have God's favor and presence in evangelizing. That's another way that you can prepare for evangelism. God is with you. God has blessed this message that we want to tell unbelievers. Remember Ezekiel, God told him to go and speak to the house of Israel who were stubborn and stiff-necked. And this is what he says, And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Isn't that comfortable? Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house, 
and you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Don't worry about their response. Just be faithful. And then a good reminder for persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a promise from God. And of course, Jesus says, beware when all men speak well of you. So we might be doing something wrong if we go throughout our whole lives and we don't really encounter any resistance. So we talked about prioritizing evangelism. We also talked about preparing for evangelism and now kind of the crux of the matter, men must proclaim Christ in evangelism. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1.16. Even Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Who should we proclaim Christ to? We should proclaim Christ to our families. Our families. Men have unique responsibilities as heads of their homes. And I listed several passages from Genesis 2 and 3. We won't go through them. But a lot of things happened with Adam before Eve was created. Adam was told to cultivate the ground before Eve was created. Adam was told to name the animals. Adam was given instruction by God. And then even after Eve was deceived, God didn't come to Eve first. He came to Adam and pointed the finger at him. So we have unique responsibilities as heads of our homes. And just like Adam, we are accountable for the spiritual health of our homes. On judgment day, God is not gonna be coming to your wife. He's gonna be coming to you first and foremost. And then within your family, obviously, you should be proclaiming the gospel to your wife, if you're married, that is. Your wife's sanctification depends on it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 30, we won't read it all, I'll just read a small portion of it. Christ loved the church by sanctifying her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And we are to love our, our, our wives as Christ has loved the church. And so we should be washing her with the water of the word. And foundationally, that means telling her, reminding her, pointing her back to her identity in Christ. The cross of Christ, what, where her value is, how she should be ultimately satisfied in her Savior, not in us, not in her husband. So, and then there are two different categories, obviously. 
for a wife. The wife could be believing, the wife could be a Christian, or the wife could not be a Christian. So let's deal with, with both of those. Your wife, even though she's a Christian, needs to be reminded of her roots. And it's a good, a good reminder that we should teach our wives even if uh, they are smarter than us. As, well, some of us are in that position. But fortunately, intelligence is not a prerequisite for being the head of your home. Also, teach your wife even if she's more spiritually mature than you. And she might be. And that's okay. Teach her how to think. Not because she's dumb, but because you are the head. You are her authority. You are responsible for her spiritual health. Teach her how to repent. What does it mean to confess my sins? What does it mean to change? Teach her how to think about herself. Teach her how to worship God. And you can start by simply reading the Bible with her. Pretty simple. Doesn't have to be a big theological endeavor. You don't have to be a professor. You don't have to be a pastor. Just keep it simple. Now, with a non-Christian wife, even though she's not a Christian, she can still be saved, and you can play a big part. And let me emphasize, big part. Listen to what Paul says about an unbelieving husband, excuse me, an unbelieving wife living with a believing husband. 1 Corinthians seven sixteen. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Wow. Keep being persistent, even if uh, she doesn't want to listen to the word of God. She might be saved in 15 years and 20 years and two weeks but that might be a big possibility. The other obvious uh, group of people that you should be proclaiming the gospel to is your children. Your children. And uh, even though some Christian circles would not agree with this, your children are not saved. They're not part of the covenant community. They are They were conceived in sin. They don't have new hearts. They don't have their sins washed away. They are lost. Starting out, obviously. So we should consistently teach our children the Bible. We should not underestimate their ability to learn. And then let me read to you Psalm 78, verses 1 to 4. And I don't think he makes a mistake. I don't think Asaph makes a mistake when he uses the word fathers. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and, and known that our fathers have told us. 
we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Who told them? Our fathers. And then, if it's not clear that fathers should proclaim the gospel to their children, listen to Proverbs 2. This is an evangelistic appeal if I've ever heard one. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's God's promise. And then it goes on if you look at the rest of chapter 2 and talks about how enormously protective the fear of God is, protecting them from sin and all evil. So not only should we proclaim the gospel to our wives, to our children, but then also to those outside our families. And that would be to our neighborhood and to our workplaces. And then I want to point out uh, three different ways that we can proclaim the gospel to those outside our families. First way is speak with gentleness and respect. Speak with gentleness and respect. First Peter 3.15 but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, and they will ask you, for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The way you communicate the gospel reflects or does not reflect Christ. And let your speech be motivated by compassion. We were there before. We were ignorant. We didn't know Christ. We didn't know God's love. It's not because of us that we have new hearts. It's not because of us that we have had our lives transformed. And God had compassion on us, so we should show the same compassion to our neighbors. Second way is speak without judgment. Speak without judgment. Titus 3, 3 to 4, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, etc. Remember, just like our children, no one has always been a Christian including us. And remember that you were and are, like me, much worse than you think you are. Speak without judgment. Don't belittle them. Honor all men, First Peter chapter 2 says. And that's one of the ways that we can honor all men speaking without judgment toward them. And then the third way that we can 
proclaim the gospel to those outside our families is strive with a difficult man. When I worked at Chick-fil-A, they had something called second mile service based on Matthew 5.42. I won't comment whether or not it was a misinterpretation. But in the, in the context, it does talk about men who are very difficult. Uh, not just saying, I don't want your chicken sandwich. Take it back. You've heard it, it was said, for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So how do you strive with a difficult man? Be hard to offend. Be really hard to offend. Also, be slow to defend yourself. And when pride rears its ugly head, just think about Christ on the cross. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. You mean I shouldn't stand up for myself? That's right. And tr continue entrusting yourself to him who judges justly. And then one last way that you can strive with a difficult man is overcome evil with good. Seek to bless and not to curse. Okay, so there you have the three P's. Prioritize evangelism, prepare for evangelism, proclaim Christ in evangelism. So now I think we can move on to questions if anybody has any. And I do have some, some questions of my own that we can go to if uh, we're bankrupt with curiosity. Yes, Jacob. Um, proclaiming the message of salvation through Christ. I mean, I could go more detailed than that, but... That's right. Well, disciple-making begins with evangelism. So you can't begin discipling someone unless they have believed the message. Right, but I mean, the whole picture really is you're sharing the gospel, but also then you're set back. You're, you're right. The, yeah, um, I guess if it would be a message about disciple, discipling or disciple making, it'd be a little bit more extensive. Uh, 
reading verses, preparing some lesson for her? What do you practically have in mind when you say teaching words for pen or any of the other? Well, it could be preparing a lesson for her. It doesn't have to be. I think it, it's, it's something as simple as, you know, she comes to you and, and says, please forgive me, I, I was irritated with you. And you say, I forgive you. And you can either leave it at that and move on, or you can say, well, how, how do you think you can um, not do that in the future? What's your plan? And uh, you might get a, I don't know. And that's a perfect golden opportunity to take her to Galatians 5 with the fruit of the Spirit or um, I can't think of any other passage off, off the top of my head, but you're helping her to understand how to think differently about it and even practically, it doesn't even have to be a Bible verse. You could ask her probing, you know, in a kind, gentle way, probing questions like, well, why did you become irritated in the first place? Maybe she was believing a lie about you. Maybe she thinks you're a hard case in one particular area of life. And you express to her, that wasn't my intention at all. Uh, this, is, this is what I was trying to do. So will you, m- moving forward, are you comfortable believing that truth about me that I'm not a hard case and I'm not trying to pounce on you? And, and that can hope, open up a whole other series of conversations with her and that could even reveal your own sin. Memorize verses together. That would be good too, yeah. I, I thought of another one when you were talking about the uh, modeling this. Uh, both for your Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I worked with a uh, lady who asked teacher, this boy Christian, who was the one of our uh, secretaries, administrative assistant. And her husband has been a pastor, I think, now he spends most of his time Christian counseling. But he said, she said that. Every Saturday, he spends the entire morning, they spend the entire morning together over coffee, talking and talking about scripture and talking about what's going on in their lives. And boy, that's, uh, I mean, they spend the entire morning, every, every week. That's just what they did. And uh, I think it had quite an impact on, on each other. Yeah, and a good encouragement is we can always do more. You know, rather than watching the episode that you wanted to at 8 o'clock after the kids go down, you could just replace that with... And I think Jeremy said the whole book of Philippians took took him seven minutes to read with Serena before they had a lot of children. So they read it like three times a day at each meal. Super smart but really impactful. Anything else?
Yeah, Greg. When you said when you're speaking to outsiders, I think you'll agree with this added or the clarity, but speak without judgment. I'm assuming you mean speak without personal judgment. Yeah. We are, yeah, the gospel is a judgment. And they might, and the conversation might end with them thinking, you're still judgmental, even if you say that. But the important thing is, if we just go back to the Word of God and we just give an honest assessment of ourselves for whatever that's worth, then I think we're, we're in a favor, favorable area, a good zone.